Well, good morning. Welcome to our weekly Bible talk. We are in the book of 2 Peter, so go ahead and get your Bibles open in 2 Peter. Uh, to quickly remind you of just a couple of things that we've talked about, 2 Peter is written by Peter, the apostle, the same guy that we uh, read about in the Gospels, the guy that denied Jesus, the guy that cut off uh, the servant, uh, the, the ear at the... Uh, in the Garden Gethsemane. That's the guy that writes both 1 Peter and 2 Peter. A couple of the big truths that he's talked about so far. We who believe have the same type of faith as the apostles, as the great heroes of our faith. While certainly their faith might be stronger, it's not as if uh, Peter, Paul, James, John, these folks are made of a different substance than we are. We have the same kind of faith, and as we grow our faith and as our faith is strengthened, um, God can do similar things through our lives that he did through the apostles. Now, not necessarily, you know, we're not, I don't expect we can go around performing miracles and that sort of thing, but uh, don't think, you know, I'm a brand new Christian and, you know, my faith feels pretty weak. Uh, over time, God can grow that and mature that, and before long, he'll be bearing some fruit in your life that's, uh, that, that you would be maybe shocked by if you were to see it today. That was the first big truth. The second big truth that we talked about last week was the way in which we have in our relationship with God absolutely everything we need for life and godliness. Now, you think about it, that's kind of a shocking thought. Uh, I really don't need uh, to learn all these different facts and details. Now, of course, it's helpful to learn, say, secular knowledge. It's helpful to learn how to change a tire and how to change my oil and how to uh, maybe take care of my house. You know, obviously, all of this stuff is very helpful to know, but those things which are essential, which uh, I can't live without, those all come from my relationship with God. And what's more, as I cultivate my relationship with God through his word, through prayer, through fellowship with the saints, that will motivate me to go learn about some of these other areas that I might better take care of my family, better love my neighbor. And I tried to uh, explain this last week, but let's say I have no idea how to change my oil. Um, how is growing my, my relationship with God relate to that? Well, as I grow in my relationship with God, I start thinking, you know, maybe, maybe I could uh, love my neighbor and start, you know, helping them change their oil. And maybe I could save a couple of bucks by changing my own oil, and I could give that money to missions or something like that. Uh, so because my relationship with God is healthy, I'm motivated to go learn in these other areas. So you understand the distinction I'm making? You know, there, there's nothing you absolutely need when you stand before God. God is not going to ask you when you stand before God, uh, why didn't you know how to change your oil? But he will ask you when you stand before God, what have you done with my son Jesus? Have you trusted him or not? So again, everything you need for life and godliness is found in your relationship with God through Jesus. But again, as you cultivate that relationship with God, you'll be motivated to learn more about different areas. You know, say you're a secretary and you don't know how to type. If you want to be a good secretary, you'll learn how to type. But again, you'll be motivated to do that because you take your relationship with God seriously. I remember back in college, uh, I'll, I'll confess, early on in college, I was an absolute goof-off. I went to college to like play, play ping-pong and meet cute girls. That's why I went to college. But what happened was God really got a hold of my life. Uh, I, I developed this really lively personal relationship with the Lord, and the thought finally crossed my mind, if I'm going to please God and walk with God, I, I got to take my studies seriously. I can't just goof off and ignore them all the time. So my relationship with God motivated me to work harder on my studies. And again, as you grow in your walk with God, you'll see that uh, flesh itself out in all sorts of different areas. If you're a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, growing in your relationship with God will motivate you to do your job with excellence. Anyway, that was the big truth we talked about last week. Today we're going to start in verse 3, and I think we'll read on down through verse 7, maybe a little bit more, um, and talk about how Paul or Peter, by the way, if I ever say Peter or Paul when we're studying 1 Peter, just kind of do the mental math in your head. 
the brain does funny things, and I do things. I, I notice myself doing this from time to time, having this sort of mental burp and say something that's not entirely accurate. Don't take that as false teaching or something like that. It's just the way the brain works. But anyway, we're going to start in verse 3. We'll read a bit and then talk about it. But before we do that, let us pray for help. Pray with me. Gracious God, thank you so much for your living word. Please help us now to understand it aright. Give us conviction, mind renewal, sensitivity to your spirit's work. Help us to hear you speaking to us through this word today. As always, give us faith to apply it to our lives that we might be doers of your word, not hearers only. Help me to make comments that really bring out the proper meaning and intent of this passage. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to start in verse 3. I know we talked mostly about verse 3 last week, but we're going to start in verse 3 and, and keep going. Peter writes, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pause there for a minute. There's an awful lot here. Uh, Peter is really rich. I, you know, we often think of like deep doctrine. We often think of the Apostle Paul. But uh, oftentimes Peter's got some really deep doctrine. And so also in the passage I just read, there's some deep, rich doctrine here that I'd like us to reflect on. Verse 4, it says he's granted to us his precious and very great promises. Uh, the Really, the entirety of the Bible is filled with promises to us. Now, some are not all applicable to us. I mean, obviously, there are promises to, you know, Egypt. If you don't let my people go, then these plagues are coming. You know, there are promises to the Babylonians and whatnot. So you do need to be discerning. Don't read the Bible as if every promise in it applies to you. Read it in context. See to whom uh, the Lord is speaking. But there are tons of promises in the Bible uh, that are applicable to you, especially if you're a believer in Jesus. There are promises that are applicable to you that, you know, if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus, you know, for example, the with Noah, that I'm not going to destroy this planet with a flood again, that applies to absolutely every man, woman, and child, whether they believe or not. It even applies to the, the animals and, and plants and whatnot. Uh, we can take advantage of that promise and thank God for that. Additionally, if you are not a believer, uh, there are some promises that are kind of scary. They're more like threats. Uh, you know, the soul that sins, he shall die. The wages of sin uh, is death. Uh, it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. All of these are promises. Now, we don't think of them as like particularly pleasant promises, but they are promises nonetheless that unless our sins are forgiven, we will experience a fearful condemnation before God when we die and stand before him. But realize the Bible is packed with promises, promises to everybody, promises to non-Christians, but to Christians there are tons and tons and tons of promises uh, that he'll provide all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That God will give us all grace that we might abound in every good work, that he won't allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. The Bible is packed with promises, and I really encourage you to get to know these promises because they really do provide the wind in your sails for living the Christian life. I was talking about this in a sermon a couple of weeks ago, but most of us know already what we ought to be doing. We know we ought to love our neighbor, work hard at our job, tell the truth, uh, not get bitter. Not, you know, we know these things, but we lack the motivation. We lack the, the fuel 
Uh, so it's, it's kind of like one of those old-fashioned sailing ships where they got the big tall masts and the big sails. If there's no wind blowing, that's, that ship's not going anywhere. So also, if there's no motivation, you can know all that you sh should do, but you're not going anywhere because there's no motivation. You know, again, that you should love your spouse, work hard, but again, if the motivation's not there, you're not going to. So where does the motivation come from? It comes from the promises of God. So I know I should love my wife, as Christ loves the church, if I believe that God's going to give me the grace to do that, that all of a sudden wind starts entering my sails and I can get pushing uh, toward obedience. So thoroughly familiar yourselves with the promises uh, made to you in Scripture, especially if you're a believer. Uh, one place that you could go for these, Charles Spurgeon wrote this old book called Faith's Checkbook. Uh, it's kind of an interesting title. You're like, what in the world is that all about? Well, his idea was that the promises were kind of like checks, and if we have faith, we can cash them in. Uh, you know, for example, God promises he'll give me all the grace that I need to abound in every good work. Uh, that's a check, but if I don't have faith, I can't cash that in. So that, that's kind of his thinking there. But if you wanted to check that out, it's the devotional. It's got a different kind of promise that he meditates on each day. There is a copy in our church library if you go to church here. Uh, but check out Faith's checkbook by Charles Spurgeon, just collecting tons and tons of these promises. And again, they'll provide you with the wind in your sails uh, to push you along to obey. I mean, and for the sake of time, I won't go deep into this, but there are promises about everything. I mean, pertaining to money, pertaining to relationships, pertaining to temptation. There's like a zillion pertaining to the future. Uh, you know, the new heavens and the new earth and our glorified bodies and freedom from uh, temptation and pain and whatnot. Familiar yourselves with these promises. Again, they are like Peter describes them here. They are precious and very great, and they will provide you with the fuel that you need. I'd actually encourage you to incorporate these promises into your prayer life. Uh, this is something I found myself doing almost instinctively. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago in our sermons that I've gotten into memorizing Scripture. And... Uh, as I do that, they'll just sort of kind of flow out of my mouth while I'm praying. You know, thank you, Lord. Now, one that's become particularly precious to me is 2 Corinthians 9, 8, which says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I mean, think about that verse. I mean, absolutely everything, every grace that we need, uh, which is, is really, really wonderful. But again, as I'm praying, just, Lord, thank you that you have... Uh, offered to give me all this grace. Help me to take advantage of all this grace. Help me to figure out how to take advantage of this grace if I if I don't understand how to do that currently. Uh, so again, memorize these promises. They'll come. They'll, they'll provide you with fuel, and don't be surprised if they come flowing out of your prayers. But anyway, there are all these precious promises, and notice what Peter says that by applying them, uh, we. We become. It's really rather fascinating. He says, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Now let's pause there. That is a shocking statement, partakers of the divine nature. Uh, let's explain what this means and what this does not mean. What this does not mean is that we Christians become gods or anything like that. There, there is this idea out there uh, that we actually become like little gods. The Mormon church, I shouldn't even call it church, but the, the so-called church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints teaches that you can become God. God was once a human. He became God and created this entire world, and we, by kind of following his example, can also become gods. That's the, that, I mean, an honest Mormon will teach you that that's what they believe. Uh, the Bible does not teach that. And uh, when it says that we can become partakers of the divine nature, that's not what it's talking about. It's not becoming little gods where we have our own universe and, and whatnot. Additionally, there is a variation of like kind of extreme charismatic theology. It's called little god theology. Thankfully, it's not as popular as it was like in the 90s. Uh, but there, there is this idea that, you know, what it means to be made in God's image 
basically that we're miniature gods and that's why we can like speak things into existence you know it's the whole like positive power of positive thinking thing um you know if, if you're interested let me know i can direct you to some resources on this but it's it's really kind of wild but it is tied in with some of these prosperity gospel things that if i name it i can claim it if i say lord uh you're gonna give me a rolls royce the reason i can do that is because my words have power like god's words do in genesis 1 and i can just kind of create reality out of thin air. Again, that's the kind of the little God theology, extreme wing of the charismatic movement. But that's not what this is talking about. When it says being a partaker of the divine nature, that's clearly not talking about God's incommunicable attributes. Now, let me explain a big word I just used there. In classic theology, we talk about two different types of God's attributes. God's attributes are his character traits, his, his attributes. You've got incommunicable attributes and communicable attributes. Okay, big words, but sometimes it's worth learning some big words. Uh, attributes. What is God like? Incommunicable are ones that we can never partake of, we, we can never participate in. For example, uh, humans will never be omnipresent. Um, you know, no matter how long we live, even, even in heaven, in our glorified state, we'll, we, you know what the word omnipresent is? I feel like I'm using a lot of big words today. But again, uh, it's helpful to know some of these big words. They help us hold thoughts in our minds. The idea of omnipresence is everywhere all the time. God is here in this room with me. God is in China. God is in Russia. God is absolutely everywhere all the time. If I got in a spaceship and went to Mars, God would be there. Uh, if I went down to the bottom of the ocean, God would be there. Uh, he's everywhere all the time. There's nowhere you can run from God, nowhere where you can be taken from God. Now that attribute humans will never participate in. It's incommunicable. It can't be communicated to us. And there are a whole bunch of attributes like that that are just unique to God. Um, we'll never have omniscience, knowing absolutely every tiny little detail. We, you know, I think our knowledge of God will grow a lot in heaven, but we'll never be omniscient like God is omniscient. And again, there's a whole category of attributes like that that humans just cannot partake, partake of. But then there are God's communicable attributes, and these are things that we can imitate, we can cultivate, God's Spirit can bear them in our lives. You know, obviously things like love, joy, peace, patience, all of these things God in His mercy has shared them with us. Now why are they called divine attributes? Because in our flesh, we don't naturally produce them. Uh, this, this obviously gets into our understanding of the theology of sin, but sin has so corrupted us, so twisted us, that something like Love, real love, does not crop up in your life without God giving you grace for that to crop up in your life. You know, if God took away all of his grace, we would become just horrible monsters, like, immediately. Um, but God, in his mercy, by his grace, allows some of these communicable attributes to be born in our lives, and that's what it means when it says we're partakers of the divine nature. Uh, these divine attributes that are communicable can be emulated in our lives by embracing God's precious promises as we walk and grow in our relationship with him. I think what Peter is talking about here is really the same thing that Paul is talking about in Romans 8, when he says, those he predestined, he called, those he called, he justified, those he justified, he glorified, so that we might be conformed to the image of God's Son. God's Son, obviously, is you know Jesus, the incarnation of God, God himself. So as we become like Jesus, we are becoming of the divine nature. Again, not in the incommunicable attributes category, but in the sense that we are loving, joyful, and we've got all of these attributes that do shine out in the world like uh, stars, or, you know, this is what I think it means in 
the Sermon on the Mount when he says, uh, let your good works be done before men that they might see your, see your good works and give glory to my Father in heaven. You know, as the divine nature works in us, producing the fruit of the Spirit, producing Christ-like character, the world will see and they'll start taking notice and before long they'll ask you about the reason for the hope that's within you. And all of that goes back to like we talked about last week, growing in your relationship with God. As you grow in your relationship with God, uh, you become a partaker of the divine nature, uh, the light starts showing forth and before long people are going to start noticing and asking, especially when they go through some trial. You know, they might not ask you the first day they notice something, but you know, when their daughter winds up with leukemia, or when they go bankrupt, or when their house burns down, uh, they'll come to you and be like, I can tell there's something about you that's different. What is it? And you can tell them that God, by his spirit, is producing in me the divine nature. But again, be very clear there, because like I said, there's confusion here. Don't think that uh, we're becoming gods or anything like that. But nonetheless, as we're increasingly conformed to the image of Christ, we are becoming partakers of the divine nature, which is really cool. And that points us forward to the future when we'll be fully conformed to the image of God's Son. First uh, John talks about when we see him, we will be like him. Again, not in his uh, divine essence, but in the sense that we'll have all of these virtues and communicable attributes that are just going to bring joy and, and holiness and, and, and love forever. Anyway, moving on. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. There's, again, so much... So much in that phrase. Something I've noticed, by the way, and you can comment on this. Comment on the Facebook page or on the sermon audio page. I feel like I have slowed down way too much in going through the Bible. Um, If you go to our Wednesday night Bible study, we're uh, in Romans 1-7, and we've been in Romans for an entire year now. We've only gotten up to verse 7. Um, And here in 1 Peter, we've been in Peter for three weeks, and I'm up to what? Verse 4. This is not really my ideal approach to teaching the Bible, to go that absolutely slow. Obviously, we want to go slow because there's a lot of great stuff here, but there is a point where if you go so slow, people kind of like lose track of where you're at, and you're like, what book are we, oh, oh yeah, we started Second Peter, you know, four years ago, and now we're into verse seven. I mean, if you're going that slow, that's a little bit too slow, so feel free to comment, and I'm, I'm, I got thick skin here. If you're saying I'm going way too slow, that's totally fine. Uh, Let me know, and I can try and, you know, speed up accordingly. Or if you're saying this is really, really helpful, keep going at the same pace, uh, you know, I'm here to help you understand God's Word. So again, some feedback would be appreciated. But anyway, coming back to what he says there in verse 4, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, this world is in the process of decaying and falling apart. Uh, not only materially, it is doing that materially. I mean, everything, you know, that, that this is why people are dying, and this is why things rot, and this is why, you know, eventually everything is going to, you know, have to be renewed and created in the new heavens and the new earth. Sin has introduced a poison into creation, and because of that, things are gradually and more and more corrupting. But I don't think this is primarily talking about that. I think this is pri- primarily talking about human sinfulness. Uh, humans, humans sinfully are getting worse and worse and worse. And you'll notice what is the source of that sinful desire. The reason why we're getting worse and worse and worse is not at the end of the day due to media, uh, you know, Facebook, Internet. Obviously those don't help. But the reason why media, Internet is so corrupt is because sinful people with sinful hearts are producing that media. At the end of the day, what we most deeply need is not like a new social media platform. At the end of the day, what we need is regeneration, being born again, having our hearts renewed, which I think this entire, yeah, yeah, this book actually talks about it. If you go back to the verse, you know, verse one, we've obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what we need, because again, this world is corrupting, falling apart, 
And realize that as Christians, we are sort of citizens of two realms simultaneously. Uh, some of the things in the Bible are difficult to understand, and this is one of the things that, we're, that is difficult to understand. We are citizens of two realms simultaneously. One realm is gradually corrupting, gradually fading away, is going to be replaced. Uh, that's this present age. The other world that we're members of is the kingdom of heaven. We're already citizens of heaven. Uh, eventually, God's glory is going to cover the earth. There's going to be the entire new creation, uh, you know, the, the heavens and the earth. Uh, so we're part of both of these at the same time. And I think you can feel it. You know, any honest Christian will admit that they feel it. They feel both the sinful desire to engage in things they should not engage in, but also the longing for heaven and longing for this perfect world with perfect worship. You know, it's the old Galatians 5 thing where the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and this is why we're just kind of like banging heads uh, inside of us all the time. You know what I'm describing? Uh, but again, remind yourself, this world, it's passing away. The lusts of this world are passing away. Very Relatively soon, they're all going to be replaced by the kingdom of God. And you, you say very soon, that, that might not be for thousands of years, but yes, in light of eternity, it's still very soon. You know, let's you know, as I read the Bible, Jesus might come today. He might come 10,000 years from now. It, you know, we, we, do, we don't really know. Nobody knows the hour or the time. Um, but regardless, in light of the billions and billions and billions of years of eternity, if it's 10,000 years from now, that's still a pretty tiny uh, amount of time. So this world is going to be soon gone. Uh, so realize that by giving yourself into these sinful desires this corrupt world, you're giving yourself over to something that's going to be very quickly replaced. And how, how wise is that, to devote myself to something that's pretty quickly? It's not only corrupting, it's corrupting me, but it's also going to be soon replaced with the kingdom of God. Anyway, let's see if we can cover a couple of other verses. Verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now, what is Peter talking about here? Well, it's interesting. He starts listing off a bunch of virtues, a bunch of attributes, which I do think are expressions of the, the divine nature that he just talked about. But clearly, he begins with faith. Now, any guess why he begins with faith? Well, again, this is the essence of what a Christian is. What a Christian is is somebody, not necessarily who's characterized by all these good works, not necessarily somebody who, uh, you know, they, they read their Bible cover to cover, or they give a certain amount of money to the church, or they sing in the choir, or they work in the nursery, though all of those things can be good. A true Christian is somebody that trusts in the Lord Jesus and puts no confidence in the flesh. I think that's Philippians 4. But that's the essence of a Christian. So this is sort of the defining mark. What is a true Christian? It's somebody who's put their faith in and trusted their souls to the Lord Jesus. But then from there, you're to add all of these things, virtue and knowledge and self-control and so forth. Now, a question people often have is, how do these virtues relate? Um, you know, I think we understand kind of, in, kind of intuitively what they are. And maybe I'll, I'll say them, you know, just run through them real quick. Um, but let's see here. Uh, add to your faith virtue. Uh, you know, what is virtue? It's uh, kind of a, an excellence of character. A, 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 I think you know it when you see it. You know, when you see somebody of virtuous character, you kind of know. You can't necessarily describe it perfectly, but you, you kind of know. This is a man of excellent virtue, excellent character. Pursue that. And it says, knowledge. And, and I think this is referring back to that knowledge of God that we talked about last week. Not necessarily data, it includes data, but growing in your personal relationship with the Lord. Self-control. 
obviously, what, what's that? It's that I'm not dominated by my sinful desires. I can control myself. You know, I can limit myself to one donut and not the entire dozen. Uh, you know, I can control what I watch on TV. If something inappropriate pops up, I, I quickly turn the channel. That's self-control. Steadfastness. What's that? That's perseverance over time. Uh, you know, it's easy to be kind of a good boy for an hour on Sunday morning from, say, you know, 11 to 12. Uh, but that's not the Christian life. The Christian life is all week long and all month long and all year long. So this is perseverance over time. And really the entire Christian life, I mean, you've got to think of it in terms of decades, not hours or minutes. I know I've mentioned this many times before, but I heard some very wise counsel from a pastor who was counseling young couples who were getting married. He said the uh, toughest part of marriage is the first 75 years. Uh, now think through that, and I think you'll get what he's getting at. Uh, it's this life that we've got to persevere through, and we've got to take a long-term vision. 75 years, that's, that's my walk, but then it gets a whole lot easier when we get into heaven. Um, but that's what steadfastness is, and it's a huge virtue in Scripture. The Bible talks about things like perseverance, endurance, patience. They're all kind of describing the, the same thing. It's this consistency over time. And in a way, that is one of the great marks of spiritual maturity. I mean, anybody can perform well, uh, again, during Sunday school, anybody can like, you know, perform well when you know, the, the spotlight is on them. But to stay faithful over 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 75 years, that really is uh, something special and draws people's notice. Uh, I'm reminded of on Sunday, one of our uh, older married couples mentioned that they had just celebrated their 61st anniversary. And that's a, so rare in our culture, uh, but B, so commendable from a Christian perspective to persevere through thick and thin, uh, sickness and in health, till death do, death do us part. I mean, that's awesome, and that's something that we should all uh, aspire to. Godliness, being like God, you know, in his incommunicable attributes. Brotherly affection, that's having your affections, your emotions properly ordered. You're loving the things that you should love and not loving the things that you should love, shouldn't love, and particularly when it comes to people. Uh, you should basically like your brothers and sisters. You know, we often talk about, is it okay to love somebody and not like them? Uh, not really. I mean, obviously there are people that rub us the wrong way, and I've got, you know, just like you, people that I need to learn to love, and I, you know, pray for them and whatnot. But at the same time, part of growing in godliness is having this healthy, natural affection for your brothers and sisters, such that when they're in need, your heart goes out to them. You weep with them and you, you when they weep, and you rejoice when they rejoice. And again, part of growing in godliness is not just learning data, and it's not just learning new habits, but it is having your entire, like, emotional life reordered so that your affections are what they should be. And then lastly, with love, the, the chief virtue, the, um, you know, the reason we exist is to love God and to love our neighbor. So I, I've kind of quickly gone over these traits, these kind of illustrations of the divine nature, uh, but how are they related? You know, are they like links in a chain? You know, I get one, then I get the next one, then I get the next one, but I can't get this one. Are, are they like just kind of a grab bag? Is, is it like a you know, junk drawer? Here's one, here's one. There's, there's really no organic relationship. Uh, I have to admit, I don't understand entirely how they're related, but let me explain what one of my Bible teachers explained to me. He said, you need to, you need to imagine these attributes almost like concentric circles that are all tied together at one point. Uh, so a concentric circle here, then a bigger concentric circle here, but it's tied over here. So faith is sort of the root of them all. And again, if you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus, pursuing any of these virtues is, is just not going to work. You don't, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't have the grace to pursue these. So begin there. Trust in the Lord Jesus and be saved. But once you've got that, start adding them, and, and you'll be growing in them. And, and they do, they do kind of relate to one another. 
you know, obviously, if you have no self-control, you're not going to really develop perseverance. Um, so, you know, you, you kind of have to grow them that way. But to me, and, and it did kind of make sense. Again, I can't say I've studied this thoroughly to know exactly what I think it's talking about, but that idea did make sense. Concentric circles bound together at one point. So as you develop faith, then you develop this, and then you develop this. And again, as these are increasingly evident in your life, that's what it means to be a partaker of the divine nature. We'll stop there for the sake of time. Verse 8 has got some amazing theology as well. Um, what does it mean to be ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? We'll talk about that, Lord willing, next week. But before we wrap up, how can we pray this back to God? So many prayer requests that I think of. First, thank you for the privilege of becoming a partaker of the divine nature. What a gift. I mean, again, God could have left us to sin and judgment, but he didn't. Uh, God wasn't obligated to give us a Savior. He wasn't obligated to give us His Spirit, but He has, and by that we can become partakers of the divine nature. And then we can pray, Lord, please cause these traits to be increasingly evident in our lives. And I, I think I might pray through them as we pray. Uh, let's pray and we'll be done. Father, thank you so much for your precious promises. Help us to be aware of them to embrace them, to memorize them. Thank you for the way that through these promises we can become partakers of the divine nature, to think that we, fallen sinful humans, can become like you in your communicable attributes. Such a gift. Help us to pursue that, love that, treasure that. Lord, for these particular virtues that Peter mentions, help us to add to our faith self-control. Help us to add to our self-control knowledge. Help us to add steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. Please cause these to be abundantly evident in our lives. And as that takes place, we do pray that we would shine the light of your glory, your grace into our dying world. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great week.